Thank you for attending the AHTD webinar. Uh, it was so great to uh, be with you virtually anyways. I'm Brian Bolio, CEO and Chief Economist from ITR Economics. And I did the uh, webinar with you and we didn't get to all the questions. So we're gonna go through uh, the unanswered questions now. I'll state the questions, then I'll give um, this uh, succinct an answer as I'm capable of giving anyways. Question number one, you stated that China is debt heavy and that the U.S. is spending at a high level right now. How would you compare China's debt to U.S. debt? China's debt is much higher than the U.S. debt. When you look at estimates, and it can only be estimates because China does not have transparency in all of its uh, goings on, but their estimates are that they're running uh, governmental debt about 300% of GDP as opposed to the U.S. 120%. That makes their economy more fragile and it makes them a uh, really a threat to the uh, global environment. We think they can cover over that debt for now, but uh, it clearly is a risk factor as we go forward. Uh, the next question, do you monitor trends in manufacturing capacity utilization? If so, how do those data influence your forecast? Oh my gosh, we look at those uh, numbers all the time. They're put together by the Federal Reserve Board. Uh, we have them broken down into uh, different sectors. They do, and we monitor those. And how they influence our forecast is uh, when the utilization rates are low, we expect that uh, new orders are not going to be coming forward um, because we're not in an expansion mode. Um, they give us a good read on what the current temperature is. And in some cases, like total industry capacity utilization, it acts as a good leading indicator for capital defense uh, new orders, defense capital goods new orders, rather. Um, so we use it quite a bit, quite extensively. Uh, it is a good barometer. Outlook for gold prices, inflation outlook, outlook for gold prices. I have gold, I haven't looked at that in, it must be three weeks now, uh, simply because it hasn't risen to the top of the pile. But gold is uh, an emotive play. Uh, inflation, uh, which is sometimes a driver for gold, is non-existent. We think it's going to be non-existent for the next four quarters anyways. So you wouldn't look for gold to be an inflation hedge. You would look for gold simply to be an emotional um, hedge or um, a bet toward a longer-term future. But not much of a, an inflation play right now. How much inflation should we expect in 21-23? Uh, fairly low, actually. And we're going to, well, I'm in the process, as a matter of fact, sadly, yesterday, redoing that particular forecast. Uh, but it's likely going to remain low. Uh, all the stimulation that's been applied to our economy and globally is not likely to result in any appreciable inflation in 21. Perhaps some more in 22 and even more in 23, and that's what I'm trying to figure out. But it still isn't uh, anything that you would consider to be dangerous. High enough, likely that the Federal Reserve will be raising interest rates again for that time. But uh, nothing egregious, certainly nothing that's going to cause the economy a great deal of pain. Uh, more concerning into that period would be if the Federal Reserve decided to be very aggressive in terms of sterilizing all the stimulants. The next question is, shouldn't the PPP look at a company's profitability? I'm concerned that a lot of the money doesn't get to companies who need it the most. Well, that's a, that's a great 
question, philosophical question. Shouldn't is a value uh, judgment from an economic perspective. You can be very profitable uh, when you're in normal times and find yourself in very unprofitable situation when the government tells you you have to close your doors or they tell you tell your customers that they have to stay inside. So I'm not sure profitability is a great benchmark. Perhaps liquidity uh, would have been something that uh, could be used. There were certainly ways to fine tune that. And really with round two, uh, the CARES Act two, they um, tempted to do that because of some of the more blatant misuses of the initial round of PPP. Reality is the money's out there, and uh, for better or worse, it went out the way it did the first time. But uh, I applaud you for your social uh, conscience, conscience and uh, more power to you. In the past, uh, in many of your past presentations, you've talked about technology to capitalize on opportunities while things are good. When the market swings back, what are your thoughts on investing this way now? Oh, man, very good. Um, between the nationalism, moving our supply chains closer to home, uh, decreasing our reliance on people, I see technology automation as a very good play going forward. And I think it's going to be a, a dominant trend, not only in this recovery that's going to begin in earnest in 2021, but uh, really through most of this decade, that's going to be a, a really good play. How will the U.S. GDP be affected by $2 trillion plus and infrastructure spending from the federal government favorably impacted in the near term. You're pumping a whole lot of uh, extra liquidity money into the economy. Um, so it's, that helps the economy. If, if the objective is to uh, get some additional growth or get some growth, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, going in the economy, then this is quite efficacious. Uh, history is pretty clear on that lesson. The the broader question would be, what are the unintended consequences of this down the road? And, you know, if you stimulate growth now, are uh, you taking away some growth from the future because you have to eventually pay the piper for what you have done? That would be our concern. But for now, it's good. Uh, it, it, it's uh, the economy going. It will stimulate GDP. Is there a potential for a third black swan? And if so, what might it look like? Wow. Um, there's always a potential for a third black swan. Um, but by their very definition, uh, we're not capable. I'm not capable of knowing what it would be. I could argue with you that uh, the governor is deciding to shut down the majority of the states in our union and how that flies in the face of history and capitalism and, and our civil liberties that constitutes a black swan event all by itself. That's really a consequence of the COVID-19 black swan, so I've refrained from doing that. But yeah, there's, there are more black swans out of this because what we're going through is epic and it's going to, um, I think, change some things that we can't even imagine uh, beforehand uh, having been changed. But of this magnitude, this size, uh, this usually comes around once in a lifetime uh, if you study history. So there'll be other black swans, but what might they look like? They'll look like little swans compared to what we have been going through is uh, our thoughts. How long before the oil industry recovers? It depends on where you are within the oil industry is the answer to that question. We have oil staying below profitability profitability levels all the way through 2021. That assumes the current break even. 
is around $42, which it is in the U.S. For some wells, it's appreciably higher. For some wells, it's cheaper. Uh, for those wells with lower break-even pricing, they're going to be okay in 2021. They'll continue to run. Uh, but there's going to be a wave of bankruptcies coming out of the oil field unless our government intervenes into the marketplace because um, they decide they want to save them. I'm not advocating that they do that. I'm just saying that that's likely course of action for that sector. So Canada seems to have the double whammy of oil and COVID. How do Canadian companies defend effectively against both of these risks? The same way that an energy company would in Texas or Oklahoma or Colorado, I imagine. I'm not sure that uh, it's appreciably different in terms of the business blocking and tackling in Canada than it is in the U.S. Certainly the social environment is different. I'm not, I don't mean to minimize that. But uh, if you're heavily involved in the uh, uh, tar sands project or Saskatchewan or any of that activity, and you have COVID going on, at least in the COVID sense, unless you're in a city, you're at less risk and you're going to have less of a dramatic negative impact, sort of the Swedish model, if you will, uh, or a rural uh, U.S. model. But if you're in a city, then you clearly have the double whammy to contend with, and you're going to measure your cash flow, check your cash flow, get access to money. I don't know if the Canadians have invoked a... Uh, something like the CARES Act, where they're willing to help businesses through. Uh, I apologize for not knowing that, but to any extent you can get some government assistance to get through this program. For what reasons wouldn't you take the CARES Act money? You know, it's interesting. I did a uh, Vistage Colorado webinar yesterday, and we did a polling question in the webinar, which is always interesting, and 24% of the people had not taken any CARES money. I think that you would not take it if you didn't find yourself in a position to have to cover payroll because your business was shut down or your business was going to be that adversely impacted. And this also stemmed from another poll that was taken earlier survey actually within the Vistage, broader Vistage community. And that was about 28% of the businesses within Vistage found that they're doing more business now because of COVID-19 than they were before COVID-19. That's how they were positioned within the economy. So for those 28%, there's probably no reason to take the CARES money. Uh, and they went with their conscience and with uh, the intent of the law, and they refrained from taking the, uh, the uh, CARES money. How does this affect your 2030 outlook? It makes us more confident, all of this, in the uh, probability of a depression out there between 2030 and 2036. And I say 2036 only um, because we think that's about when the bottom of the trend is going to be. Um, you look at the size of the uh, debt ballooning up, uh, and when the world does lose faith in our willingness and ability to pay off that debt, it makes it an even bigger issue. When you look at the uh, possibilities of even higher interest rates than what you were otherwise going to see, that increases the likelihood of a cliff out there in the future. It doesn't bring the timeline of 2030 depression in at all, but it certainly um, makes it all the more real, I think, as far as uh, ITR is concerned. Do you anticipate a fourth and fifth phase of stimulus and in infrastructure, roads and bridges? Yeah, I certainly do. Uh, the administration's been positioning, arguing for that for quite some time. We're going into uh, the election cycle. 
I think this is probably a good time to get that done. I don't think anybody wants to be seen as standing in the way of um, infrastructure, putting Americans back to work when unemployment is at least temporarily so high. So yes, we anticipate a fourth and fifth phase of uh, stimulus, uh, at least one of those phases being directed toward infrastructure. What are your predictions for the global oil and by extension energy market as we see reduced demand coupled with low prices from OPEC? Our outlook, our predictions are pain. Um, this is going to last for uh, another four quarters anyways. I think more like five, six quarters uh, that we are gonna see pain in this sector unless again, the government does something to intervene. Global demand is going to stay soft. And that softness um, brought upon the market, courtesy of Saudi and Russians uh, getting together to flood the market with cheap oil is going to be very problematic. Um, global demand is going to stay soft based on our own forecast. So unless the government goes in there and throws trade barriers up against foreign oil and starts filling up our reserve, our strategic petroleum reserves, expanding them even, uh, demand's going to remain soft. You think it's, you know, once we can start in the U.S. driving around again, once we can start uh, being more normal, you'll see some of that come back. But until we're flying around the world again, until we're really going back to our consuming nature, which is going to take several quarters to get back under our feet again, now get the ground underneath our feet again. Um, it remains a very, very tough environment. Sorry. Uh, given the, another question, given the accelerated and likely continued migration of office workers to work at home, plus the continued march toward online retail, how will this affect commercial real estate pricing and leases? Uh, it can't uh, help but hurt commercial real estate pricing and leases, in our opinion. In fact, I was just talking with the executive team today at our company, and we're going to be approaching our landlord about renegotiating at least because we know we're going to need less space on the other side of this. You know, if I had to choose between investing in commercial real estate and residential real estate, to me, uh, I don't need to think about it very long. It is clearly I'm going to go toward the residential real estate. The only commercial real estate that would be interesting to me is where the demographic growth is strong enough and the economic growth is strong enough to warrant uh, that sort of a play. Uh, that's not going to be ubiquitous. That's going to be um, sectors, section, geographic segments within our uh, United States where that's going to make sense. And an awful lot of places, it's not going to make sense. Next question. Does the upcoming presidential election change your recovery projections if one wins over the other? No, it really doesn't. Uh, we thought about that long and hard. I assume you're talking about the presidential election and whether it's Mr. Trump or Mr. Biden. They still have to work with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Congress. And um, it takes time for the bills to get passed through. And I don't think even um, a Mr. Biden would lead a charge toward uh, higher taxes at this time when we're still in the uh, recovery phase from something like 2020. Uh, I think it'd be a different story if it was um, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders that was going to get the nomination, but it isn't. So I expect uh, there'll be nuanced differences. The more important election results will be in the Senate and in the House. Right now, we're expecting that it'll remain split, and therefore we will have um, 
a certain amount of gridlock in there that enables us to say, no, it really isn't going to change our outlook for 21. Certainly, maybe for 22, the jury could still be out on that. Uh, if we start raising taxes, it would be uh, detrimental to our growth prospects in 2022. It may help some longer-term prospects. It's, it's a trade-off, right, in economics between short-term, intermediate-term, and long-term. But raising taxes would certainly, certainly hurt the short-term, even though it may be beneficial for the longer-term. Will there be major pressure put on China with the lawsuits now being filed due to China being COVID-19 source and the lack of transparency? I doubt it. I mean, they're a sovereign nation and they're not behaving any differently than we have seen before. Um, no, I don't think they're going to be, there will be much change anyways. Uh, in terms of pressure, the Chinese are fairly oblivious to global pressure that they've been thus for the last 50 years. No, I think the only pressure that's going to be brought to bear is U.S. business folks bringing their supply chain sources home. That'll put pressure on China, not these uh, lawsuits, in my opinion. But I tend to see everything through an economic lens. That's my bias. Another question. With interest rates so low now and expected to rise in coming years, should we take on debt now for strategic investments? Uh, let me put this uh, very specifically. Yes. Put another way. Absolutely yes. Put a third way. What are you waiting for? I think there's going to be a lot of uh, businesses available at distressed pricing in the fourth quarter this year, first quarter, second quarter of next year. You should be doing your due diligence now and you should be lining up the funding and you should be ready to strike. You buy when everybody is being an Eeyore uh, and this is Eeyoreville. It's a good time to be out there buying. Next question. With the coronavirus thing happening, are you still recommending technology and software that might either replace people or make departments more productive? Absolutely, yes. Um, for the reasons that I mentioned earlier in this trends talk, uh, that trend is going to continue. I think it's actually going to get some added impetus, uh, and it's still uh, a great place to be. And I know there's going to be high unemployment, and I know people are afraid that that's going to linger, uh, but we don't see it lingering long term. Uh, by the end of 21, Heading into 22, we think there's maybe 3 million people still out of work uh, that were not out of work before uh, the dual swans hit. Maybe f up to 4 million, depending on the oil market, right? But those aren't the people that we necessarily wanted in our offices. They're more in the retail space. Uh, they're not, uh, the, they don't have the skill sets that you and I would typically employ in the um, uh, technology fields or in the analytic fields. We'll find more of them available for working in warehousing and in logistics. Uh, that is true. But for productivity reasons, it's fairly easy to uh, see why you would want to replace uh, those functions. Next, what timing do your models assume for state governments lifting stay-at-home orders? Do the models assume second and third wave potentials in 2020 and 2021? We are assuming that over the course of May and June, state governments are lifting. They're going to play tentatively, you know, lifting certain segments, carefully lifting things in uh, May. More of that's going to happen in June. If there is no second wave, then they're going to continue uh, with phase three is our view of things. And as we cruise through the summer months of July, August and September, uh, we're going to be much more free to move around the country. 
we are not assuming that there will be a second and third or third wave uh, to this. I know there's lots of people that are, are concerned about that. The reason we're downplaying it is, A, um, there's no hard evidence to assume that it's going to be there. All that's there is um, concerns espoused by the medical community and certain models. Those same models, though, have been largely ineffective in predicting how the disease was going to uh, impact the uh, society, et cetera. Uh, the models that have been most efficacious, most enlightening in terms of the progression of the disease are not indicating that we should place a high probability on a second, let alone a third wave. Uh, the evolution of viruses is such that as time goes on, they become less virulent. That's just the nature of a virus and how it evolves, and it evolves in a fairly quick period of time. That helps us also with our assumption that, no, we shouldn't build a second wave into uh, our models as a probability event. With the unanswered political question of how this virus started, do you see any scenario where the U.S. demands get some of our China debt forgiven? No, I really don't see that um, happening. Uh, and I've read the same articles, the same arguments, um, but they're a sovereign nation. How you? You can negotiate something like that, but you can't demand it and expect that they're going to pay it. And they have leverage over us, too. They hold a great deal of our debt. Uh, don't forget that. And they have That gives them some financial leverage that can be deployed against the United States. Now, we're a major customer of theirs, so you know it's like mutually assured destruction at that point. But they play a much longer game than we do here in the U.S. when it comes to uh, cost-benefit analysis. So I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I, I see that as an, a desire um, for revenge, um, maybe justice, uh, but uh, we're not giving it a high probability occurrence. You mentioned many times the great downturn will happen in approximately 10 years. If you, if the U.S. is not a safe haven, where would you put your money to minimize the effect? Um, our answer to that uh, was first espoused in our book, Prosperity in the Age of Decline. We have not changed our mind in that regard. Um, it remains Canada, Switzerland, and Australia. And it's really neck and neck between Switzerland and, uh, and uh, Canada, uh, depending on uh, a few particulars. And, and really, the, the third pole position belongs to Australia. Uh, but those will be your three relative safe havens during the coming storm, that is 2030 through 2036. And finally, our last question is, what's all covered in U.S. general machinery production? General purpose machinery manufacturing includes pumps and compressors, material handling equipment, elevators, moving stairways, conveyors, industrial trucks, power-driven hand tools, uh, welding, so, uh, soldering equipment, packaging machinery, and fluid power manufacturing equipment. That is what is included. It is NAICS code 3339. If you wish to look it up, you can do that by uh, Googling the NAICS codes, N-A-I-C-S, and it's 3339. Thank you again for attending the AHTD uh, webinar. It, it's always an honor to be with you. Uh, thank you for letting us answer your questions in this manner. I hope it has been helpful. 
Um, I know several of you offered to make the uh, event happen again in July. That would be our privilege. Um, I hope it can come together. In the meantime, please be well, be prosperous, be upbeat. Thank you. This is Brian Bolio from ITR Economics, wishing you well. <laughs>